Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, people fall roughly into two categories. You have your rule snubbers, and their philosophy of life is, uh, I'll do what I want, and I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. Uh, they, they like to grab the gusto in life. Um, the other group of people are rule followers. And so their whole mode is like, I want to stay out of trouble. I, I'm going to toe, toe the line. And it tends to, being a rule follower tends to carry kind of a, a sense of entitlement. It's like, you know, I'm doing good, so life owes me good. Like, do good to me because I'm, I'm being good. It also carries this sense of kind of moral superiority, like looking down on other people. I, I remember a conversation when I was growing up in, in church between these two ladies. They were, they were talking about someone, which right off the bat, that's usually a bad thing, but they were talking about someone who had actually just recently passed away, and they had lived kind of a, a wild life, but they had a, a deathbed conversion, we, we might call it. So they had lived kind of a wild life. I don't remember any of the details of that. But they, near the end of their life, they had recognized the sin in their life. They had recognized the, the need for forgiveness and the need for a savior, and they had trusted Christ. And this, this woman was reflecting on that, and she said, you know what, That's not, it's not fair. It's not fair that this person like kind of did what they wanted all of their life and then at the end they just kind of got in, you know, with God. And and here's me who, you know, this is the woman speaking. Here's me who's like I'm I'm serving God faithfully, you know, and it just it just it doesn't it doesn't seem fair. So actually I th- that that lady sounds when I recount that story, that the lady sounds a lot like uh, if you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son and the older brother, right? She sounds a lot like the older brother. Also, she probably would have had a hard time with the thief on the cross that Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. She would have thought that's not fair too, apparently. And the, the reality is that, that, this, that, that God is as offended by being judgmental as he is by anything that we might judge a person Four, and we're going to see that really clearly today, that following the rules is not the way to earn God's favor. So if that's the case, then what hope do we have? How do we earn God's favor? Well, we will talk about that this morning. If you would turn to Romans chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. Today we are... Uh, in, this, in a series studying the, the letter of Paul to the Romans, we're calling this series. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one on a seat near you. And Romans 2 is on page 1040. It'll be really helpful to you if you follow along with us. Um, this series we called, what do we call it? Immersed in Grace. And it's right now it doesn't feel that much like we're being immersed in grace because we are in the middle of bad news. And I, I just want to map this out for you a little bit so that you have some hope. We're on week three of five weeks. I didn't want to tell you that the first week, but it's five weeks of bad news. But 
the good news is today we're kind of like over the halfway point, and then we'll be getting into some good news. But because we're spending so much time in the bad news, it's really important that we be reminded of the good news that Paul told us right before he dove into the bad news. So let's recount that. This is a verse that I encouraged you to memorize. This is Romans chapter 1, 17, and we'll put it up here on the screen. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. So I wanna just, I, I wanna help you memorize this. So I want you to just first, just read it with me here this morning. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. Now, I, I wanna do a little exercise that we did if you happen to be here on January 1st, and Sophie Allers kinda led us through this. I thought, this is a great idea. So I'm gonna help you memorize this by, we're gonna drop a word out, and then we're gonna see if you remember it as we read it together again, all right? The one, now let's read it again. So the one who by faith, good, is righteous shall live. So the blank does not get filled in by effort. The one who by effort is righteous shall live. The one who by their performance is righteous shall live. It's the one who by faith is righteous shall live. We're gonna drop one more word out here. Let's read it again. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. Life, real life is the end game here, okay? It's not just getting by. It's not just getting a ticket out of hell. It is actually, which that's a good thing, but this is actually like real life, abundant life that God wants to show you and me what real life is about, the bill of sale that you have been sold by the world about what the dream life is about is a lie. It's deception. And so Paul is gonna lay out for us as we continue through the book of Romans what real life looks like. And the way to that life is to be righteous by faith, not by effort. So that's the good news. And now we're gonna get back into the bad news. Okay, so today is bad news for rule followers. And we're gonna look at three paragraphs today that are all pretty dense. So I'm gonna give you a heading for each of the paragraphs. So it'll be easy for us to kind of track what's going on here. Here are the headings. Stop judging, respect the judge, and seek justification. Okay, now we're gonna look at those three. Oh, and by the way, I'm seeing a lot of people walking around with the Romans journals. We still have a few of those. If you haven't gotten one, you wanna get one yet. But I just wanna encourage you, if you're taking notes as we go through the message today, I just wanna remind you that the, the important thing is not what I say. It's the important thing is not what point is up on the screen. The important thing is what you are hearing from the Lord as we go through this study. So please write that down <laughs> as we're going today. If, if you sense God prodding you on something or bringing something back to your mind, that's what you need to be writing down and taking away with you. And let's just pause for a moment and pray and ask him to open our ears. Father, we thank you for your amazing word that you have given us that promises us life. <laughs> it's, it's a life unlike anything we can find any, anywhere else. And uh, Lord, we look forward to understanding your mindset about what life is and how to get there. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we spend these next few moments, um, that you would speak to each heart. Lord, I, don't, I can't begin to have the ability to speak to each need 
of each person in this room and all that they're bringing with them from probably a, a difficult week in many ways. <laughs> I don't have the capacity to do that, but you have more than the capacity to do that, to speak to each person. So would you do that this morning, Lord? Would you open our ears to hear from you? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, first, Paul starts with stop judging. So to, to appreciate this, we're gonna back up to last week where we saw some rule snubbing going on. And so we'll go back into chapter one, starting verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or think that God was worthwhile, God gave them up to a debased or a worthless mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but get approval to those who practice them. So this is an ugly, ugly list, and it's easy to imagine a moral, rule-keeping, upstanding kind of person reading that list and thinking, wow, that is a hot mess. Those people are a hot mess. I hope they get what they deserve. I mean, I know I'm counting on getting what I deserve. I hope they get what is coming to them. And so Paul anticipates that kind of response, and so now he's gonna turn his attention to the rule followers in chapter two. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul says, stop judging others. You're, you who judge, you're doing the same things. Maybe not as often, maybe not as loudly, but, but God does not reserve judgment for, for those who have done everything on this list. His judgment is for anyone who's done anything on this list. And can you really say, you moral, righteous person, can you really say, not righteous person, you moral rule follower, can you really say that you have never coveted what somebody else has? That you have never... Uh, envied somebody, that you have never slandered someone or gossiped against someone, that you've never disobeyed your parents. I mean, if you broke anything on this list, then that means you're, you're a rule breaker. Now you're trying to follow the rules really hard, but breaking one of them breaks, breaks the law. See, God's standards are high. They are perfection when it comes to purity. I mean, you and I can relate to this at, at some level. I mean, if you have ever had the experience that we had uh, a few weeks ago, going to a buffet. So we were, uh, this was a birthday, uh, family birthday, my son's birthday, and so he gets to pick where we're gonna go. 
for our meal. So he picked a buffet. I won't tell you where it is because this is a little bit of a bad thing on that. But it's not a really bad thing because the food was really, really good. But anyway, we went to this place. And so we, we prayed, you know, around the table. Then we go up and we're ready to dive in. Like, I, I mean, I love buffets and this food is so good. And so we went up and I grabbed a plate and it had a smudge on it. And I was like, okay, not using that plate. So I set it aside. I found another plate, and there were lots of, all the other plates were clean. That was the only one that has smudge, but I was like, okay, I'm not using that. Then I went and got my food, and it was so good. Here's what I did not do. When I picked the plate up that has smudge, I didn't say, oh, it's just a little dirt. I'll just use it. If it had been the last plate, I might have done that. But, but I mean, we, we don't do that, right? If you go to a buffet, you're not going to use a dirty plate, even if it's just a little bit of dirt. And, and we don't want God to have a tolerance even for just a little bit of dirt. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because when, when we think about, the, let's think about the final judgment when God is deciding who is, is coming into eternity and, and who's not. We don't want God saying, well, you have just a little bit of smudge on you. I, you're okay. We, we don't want that. When, when I look at this list in chapter one that we just read, like, I don't want any of that in eternity. Do you? I mean, I don't, I don't want, I, I'm looking forward to being done with strife and done with contention and done with people who might be malicious and, and all those things. I don't want any of that in eternity. And God's not gonna allow any of it either. He's not gonna allow any of it. So somehow, we, we have to, I mean, how do we qualify then? How can we get in if God doesn't allow anything to get past? Well, well, we will get to that. But for now, Paul is saying, stop, stop judging others. Okay, you, you are not exempt from God's judgment because, just because you're not as bad as somebody else. This is not getting graded on, on a curve. Let's, let's read verse three again and then read on. He says, do, do you suppose, you, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, moral rule followers often think they don't need to repent. They, they, they think they're good enough. They, they think that God is being kind to them because they've earned it and, and they deserve it. And Paul has a rude surprise for them. Verse five, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And I read that and I'm like, whoa, Sparky. I mean, my goodness, hard, impenitent heart. Wow, storing up wrath, but I'm trying to do the right thing. I mean, I'm doing my best, God. Wow. See, see Paul is telling us here that when, when moral rule followers lower God's standard to the point where they meet it, it is as disrespectful to God as just blowing the whole law off completely. God, God is not excusing anybody's sin. He is allowing space 
and time to recognize the need for forgiveness and to repent. That's that's what he's talking about here in verse four. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Repentance in scripture is a sorrow, a, a regret over what we have done that leads to a total change in the way we think and the way we behave. I like to kind of summarize it by saying that it is a change in our heart and a change in our heading. So it's a change in our heart to agree with what God says is wrong, and then it's a change in our heading. We, we see this illustrated in the story of the, the prodigal son because he, he realizes that he needs what the father has to offer him, so he, and he heads back towards him. So repentance is not just being sorry, and it's not just asking God to forgive us, but it's, it's to say, God, I wanna live differently. I wanna align my life with what you require of me. So that's repentance, and Paul says in verse four, it is God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance. This is really crucial to understand as we're in the middle of this bad news. It is not God's wagging finger in your face that leads you to repentance. It is not God's scolding of you that leads you to repentance. It is God's kindness. And if you encounter someone who wags their finger in your face or scolds you for doing something that is against God's God's law, then who you're talking to is someone who hasn't recognized their own need for grace. Because it is God's kindness that leads us and draws us to repentance. And as we have the opportunity to share the good news of, of Christ with others, we should be bringing kindness to them as well. Truth, but truth with grace, speaking truth in love. Paul says to stop judging, first of all. And then in the second paragraph, he says to respect the judge. Verse six, God will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. God is perfectly impartial, perfectly fair, no bias, no muddy thinking that's cluttered because of of sin. See, this is the problem when you or I try to judge. We are none of those things. Our minds are muddied because of of sin. We are are partial for a variety of reasons. We're we're biased. So it is above our pay grade to be judging anybody else. And it's actually a reflection just simply of pride that we would set ourselves in that place. Paul says, get in your lane, which does not involve judging any, anybody else. You don't have the skills, you don't have the objectivity, you don't have the qualifications. Only God does. Only God has the right to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. 
which Paul describes here in the, the, the verses uh, 7 to 10. I'll just read verse 7. He says, To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And similarly in verse 10, glory and honor and peace will be for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the, the Greek. So we, we have to ask the question here, who is Paul talking about? Uh, the, the moral rule keeper might think, oh yeah, that's me then. I, you know, I have patience and will do I'm seeking glory, honor, immortality. Okay, he'll give me eternal life. We might think it's that, but very, very soon, in just a few verses, Paul is gonna make very clear, no one does good. <laughs> and when verse 10 says, glory and honor and peace will be for everyone who does good, Paul's gonna say, no, nobody does. Nobody does it perfectly. So who is he talking about here? Two possibilities. One is he's just being hypothetical. If it were possible, <laughs> for someone to do good consistently, then God would honor them, he would give them eternal life. That, that's, po that's possible. Or the other possibility is that he's talking about, that Paul's talking about, someone who is good in their connection to Christ. So Paul's gonna explain as we continue going that, that the only way for us to be good in our standing before God is to connect ourselves to Christ and to the sacrifice that he has made for us to wash away our sin. Then we can be in good standing before God, and we can be more good in our behavior as we live that out, as we live into that relationship with God. He may be talking about that. What is clear here in this paragraph is that God is the only one who is qualified to judge. And we, you and I, need to stay in our lane and not get into judging that's not for us to do. So, so Paul says, stop judging, respect the judge, the true judge, and then seek justification. There's two key words that get introduced in the next two verses that we're gonna see over and over and over again in, in Romans, and so it's really important for us to understand what, what they mean. The first is in verse 12. See if you can pick up the word that gets repeated more than any other. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. What do you think it is? Law, yeah, there it is, okay, so law. So we should understand what he's talking about related to the law. Most often in Romans, when Paul uses the word law, he's referring to the law of Moses the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Jewish people would, would know that as. Occasionally, when he uses the word law, he's talking about a broader law, just the law of what is right and, and what is wrong. Here, he's probably talking about the Torah because in verse 14, he says, when Gentiles who do not have the law, and then he goes on to, and we'll read that in a, in a minute, but Gentiles don't have the law of Moses, and so probably that's what he's talking about here. here here's what's happening in, in what we're looking at here this morning. Paul is very gingerly, very carefully approaching a head-on confrontation with Jewish people who think that they may be exempt from God's judgment simply because they're Jewish, simply because they are God's chosen people. 
And he's gonna hit that head on next week, but right now he's working his way toward it, and he's just dealing in general with people who think that they're gonna be okay with God because they've been able to follow the rules well enough. So the first key word is law, and we're gonna see that over and over again in Romans. The second key word, and this one's so, so beautiful, we see in verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Justified. We, we want to spend some time unpacking this word. This word, justified, and all the related words, the family of words, show up 77 times in the book of Romans. So we really need to understand what this is, is getting at. We can understand it first in a legal sense. Justified simply means to, to be pronounced not guilty by a judge, to be acquitted of something. So there's a legal sense, if I am justified. That's what, that's what people who read this would have thought. That, that's what the Greek mindset of this word would have been in Paul's day. But Paul infuses something beyond that and much more rich than that. He takes it to a level of meaning to be made right personally with someone, not just to be made right legally in, in the, the eyes of the world that you're now legally acquitted, but to be made right in the eyes of someone, to be made right in the eyes of God. It becomes very, very personal. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that you have committed a, a crime, a very serious crime, and it's a crime that carries a life sentence. So you, you know it was wrong, you, you know you're guilty, you, you know, and you know it was wrong, you regret it. Man, I wish I could get that day of my life back and make a different decision, just let my emotions get the best of me and you got out of control. You know you're guilty, and so you've been on trial, and the day comes for the judge to bring his verdict. Judge is out in recess. You're sitting in the courtroom in your chair waiting for him to come back. You're shaking because you know what's about to happen. Judge comes in in his flowing robe and sits in his seat and gets ready to pronounce the verdict. And he says, my decision is not guilty. And you are stunned, and you're like, I, how can this even possibly be? Did he hear any of the testimony in, in the trial? Like, how could that possibly be? And so you, you are stunned. Everybody's kind of stunned, but the, the judge lowers his gavel. The trial is over, and so everybody gets up and starts to leave. And, and you get up, and you're like, I gotta bolt out the door here. I've gotta get out of here before he changes his mind or something else goes wrong. And so you're ready to, to run. And the judge summons you up to his, his bench. And you're like, okay, maybe this is it now. Maybe, maybe he's gonna like kill me personally or something. And you know, what's gonna happen? And so you, you go up to, to the bench and he, he says, I know this is kind of unusual, but I wonder if you would join me and my family for dinner tonight. And so he hands you a piece of paper with his address on, and then you leave, and you're very puzzled, and you're just like, what, what is going on here? And you go home all afternoon, and you're like, looking at should I go? I mean, is he gonna, like, what's he gonna do when I get there? And, and so you, you go, 
and he opens up his door, graciously invites you in, seats you at his table, feeds you a wonderful dinner. You have a wonderful time just talking with his family. He brings you the, the dessert, and uh, you're just like, wow, this is amazing. And then the, the family gets up and leaves, and it's just you and the judge left there. And he says, you know, I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit over these last weeks through this trial, and what I've seen is that you've, you've had a rough go of it, like your life has been difficult, and I've, I've pronounced you not guilty of this crime, and now I, I wanna go a step beyond, and I wanna invite you, would you consider being adopted into my family? You, you could have dinner like this every night, I wanna give you an opportunity to show you a life that you have never experienced before. That's what Paul means when he uses the word justified. It, it's mind-blowing. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's not logical, but that's the way God operates. What we're gonna see as Romans unfolds is that you and I have a debt. Like imagine your bank account being totally in arrears and you're so much in debt you can't begin to pay it off. God, God doesn't just give you enough to pay off your debt and bring you to zero. He deposits riches, riches, and invites you into his family. It's it's mind-boggling. So I want that. I want that. How do we get that? Okay, let's read verse 13 again, because that's where the word gets introduced. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Okay. That's not very good news, because I don't do the law very well. I don't follow the rules perfectly and consistently. I'm, I'm smudged. Re remember that we're in season one of Romans where Paul is making the case for universal condemnation, that every person, no person, measures up to God's standards. So how, how in the world can I experience what being justified means? Well, the solution to being right with God in spite of our sin is captured in Romans 1.17. The one who, by faith, is righteous shall live. It can't be the one who, by effort or performance, is righteous. It, it has to be the one who, by faith, is righteous. Even even for the moral rule follower. The moral rule follower's life is not that much different than the rule snubber's life, as Paul goes on to explain or describe as we finish out our text here this morning, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Even people, Paul says, who don't have the, the law of Moses, sometimes they do the right thing. 
by accident or by, by consciousness that God has, uh, by a conscience that God has implanted into each person. Sometimes they do the right thing, but sometimes you, moral rule follower, you do the wrong thing. Really, everybody's in the same boat. And so the bottom line to rule followers is trade judging for justification. Trade your bent to judge somebody else for a recognition and a desperation that God would justify you. I mean, don't don't comfort yourself by comparing yourself to somebody who's worse than you are. We, We need to be brutally honest about our own situation before God. We need to combat the pride. We need to come against the pride that makes us think that we are better than somebody else in God's eyes. And we need to combat the pride that makes us think we're good enough for God. Paul says we're we're not. And so here's, very practically, because I I like to just get this down to to every day, very practically, when you sense the temptation or you sense the thought of like, oh, so-and-so over here, like at least I'm not doing that, and oh, they've, they've got something coming to them. When you're tempted to judge someone, pause and do a self evaluation. Where am I at right now? When was the last time I just violated what God would have me, the way God would have me live? We need to take a look at our own need to be justified by faith. Because moral rule keeper, moral rule follower, we don't, none of us keeps the law, so rule follower, you're trying to do your best. If you insist on being justified by your performance, then you have to do all of it, all the time. No mistakes, perfectly, no smudges. That's a standard that none of us can achieve, but it's a standard that someone could achieve and did. And I wanna end with reading this because I can't leave you with bad news week after week if you go to chapter three of Romans and verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a what? As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified by grace as a gift. Justification is a gift we receive, not a reward that we earn. It's a gift that we receive, not a reward that we can earn. So the wonderful thing about that is it frees us from boasting frees us from ever thinking that somehow we have achieved righteousness on our own, and it frees us from judging somebody else. Give yourself a break. One less thing for you to do. Trade judging for justification. We're gonna take communion 
in just a moment. And here's, here's something that I have noticed about communion. Everyone gets the same portion. Have you noticed that? You might be thinking, oh, that person over there, they need two. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We all need the same forgiveness. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. <coughs> Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for providing a way for us to be justified that has nothing to do with us. Because left to ourselves, we are wholly and completely incapable of following your standards and being smudgeless. But thank you, Jesus, for coming and living a perfect life, for being the perfect, spotless, smudgeless lamb that gave your perfect life as a sacrifice in our place so that your righteousness could be credited to us and we could be declared not guilty and then invited into the family to be adopted and have a life that we have never experienced before on our own. We, we thank you, we give you praise for that. And I pray, Lord, for the person this morning who has come into relationship with Christ, but it still tends back towards judging other people and trying to do it on their own and, and building themselves up internally. Lord, would you help us to, to lay down that pride and to take up the humility of Christ who was willing to give himself and recognize that we cast ourselves completely on him and need him completely. I pray for the person who's here this morning who's never come to the foot of the cross, who maybe thinks that they have to do something, they have to crawl up a hill that is too hard to climb. Lord, I pray that you would minister to that heart this morning and speak to them the hope that this is a righteousness that you credit as a gift. May they open their hands and receive that gift today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.